I'm Rachel Perkins, and you're listening to the Nordic Nation podcast from Faster Skier. Though the Faster Skier team would select other highlights from the 2022 Beijing Olympic Winter Games, one of the most read articles we produced featured the responses of members in the ski community to a story published on February 8th by the New York Times, which included the following quote, In a sport that has so many women with massive shoulders and thighs, Diggins looks like a sprite in her racing suit, and it's not exactly clear where she gets her power. But the power is there as she flies up hills and comes off climactic turns with a burst. On the downhill, she tucks low and cuts through the air. Following the initial backlash, sparked by the quote, has prompted a number of insightful conversations and questions on how athletes, men and women, are portrayed by the media. Whether there is room for descriptions or comparisons of athletes' bodies to narrate a scene for a reader, and how the landscape of sports media has shifted with time. For this discussion, Faster Skier has brought together a panel that spans both the athlete and media perspective on this issue. Guests include Rosie Brennan, Corinne Malcolm, Brian Metzler, and Nat Hers. More in a moment, but first, a quick ad from our sponsor, the Craftsbury Outdoor Center. The Craftsbury Green Racing Project's ski and biathlon programs are now accepting applications for the 2022-2023 training year, as well as for their summer U23 training programs. Applications will be due by end of day on April 10th, and decisions will be made by April 17th. In exchange for coaching, use of training facilities, and travel support, GRP year-round and summer U23 athletes are asked to do work that contributes to the mission and operation of the center. New this year, there will be both on-campus and off-campus program options for year-round GRP team members. The off-campus option will allow more flexibility for an athlete who wishes to find their own housing near the center, and work a remote or in-person job that's not at the center. Read more about the team and find more information on the application process at their website, www.greenracingproject.com. Remaining questions may be addressed to grpski at craftsbury.com and grpbiathlon at craftsbury.com. Now back to the episode. Awesome. So thank you guys for joining today. Um, This is a pretty exciting group to have all together. Um, And before we jump in, um, just to kind of make sure that everybody's got kind of a name to a voice kind of thing for the podcast, I'm hoping you can introduce yourselves. And maybe I'll start with uh, Rosie, just because you are going to be probably for this audience, um, the most well known. And I'm hoping in addition to kind of just introducing yourself you can maybe talk about your relationship with the media in general and any experiences that you've had that maybe were kind of challenging or left you feeling kind of like frustrated or or questioning like what was that if you have any okay uh hi i'm rosie and um Gosh, yeah. Honestly, I I um, am not one that loves to be in the media, so I think I've done a pretty good job of avoiding those kinds of situations, which maybe is for the best. Um, but for the most part, honestly, I feel that most of my um, encounters with the media have been more like, I guess I would say like disappointment that they don't ask more interesting questions more than like um, being super offended or something like that. Um, but maybe I'm just also not a super, I don't know. I don't represent that many controversial things, I guess, in general. Um, but certainly I've seen other people like be asked 
questions or have watched interviews or wherever where um, maybe people have step, stepped out of line or um, said something that, you know, could be offensive or maybe not productive to, to kind of the greater mission of, of athletes. Um, can you also just touch on your, your role with voice and sport in terms of um, just how you got partnered with that organization and maybe what you've learned from um, some of the discussions that you've facilitated or, or just some of the experiences that you have had in terms of kind of supporting women in sport and some of the developing athletes that might be part of that organization? Yeah, so Voice in Sport is an online platform for uh, athlete mentorship. Um, so I serve as a mentor and I have um, sessions that uh, people that are on the platform can sign up for. Um, and of course, like nutrition and body image is one that I um, offer because it is, uh, as an endurance athlete, it's something that I think is pretty front and center. And, and I know a lot of people struggle with. Um, and my, I mean, I, I, well, I will say I don't have any formal training in this. So it's all, um, you know, from my own personal experience and, and kind of what I found that works well for me. Um, and uh, what I found with a lot of the girls is just a lot of them don't um, really know. I mean, like most of the girls that I'm mentoring are, you know, young high school athletes. And um, I find that a lot of them just don't know how to eat well. Um, and I think maybe that's where some of those things can start is just not knowing and then not knowing who to ask or where to go to find that information. And then you know, coming up with your own ideas that may or may not be productive to um, being a healthy athlete. And so um, a lot of them, yeah, just want to know like how I fuel myself and like the things that I'm eating. And um, so it's pretty basic, which I guess I'm, I'm thankful for because, you know, if it's that simple to just help educate high school girls and that's an easy thing to do, I don't feel like I need to be, have a special training to deal with that. Um, and then, you know, I always, uh, spend some time talking about just like the influence of social media and media in general and how that can skew our perceptions on, um, you know, images and what we look like and what other people look like and, um, you know, how those pressures might impact our decisions. Uh, and so, yeah, we spend a little time talking about that as well. Um, and yeah, that, that more or less covers it. Um, Corinne, I'm going to go over to you next. Um, and if you can kind of include, I guess, maybe going a little bit further back to in terms of your connection to cross-country skiing and biathlon, um, in addition to where you're at now. And um, and if you can also kind of touch on some of your experiences in terms of both like calling races and then also being an athlete that is being kind of covered um, in some of these stories, that would be great. Yeah, I'm Corinne Malcolm, and I was a high school skier and a collegiate skier and then a U.S. biathlete until about 2014, leading into the Sochi Olympics, um, but was kind of, I got sick. Basically, I was overtrained and probably had low energy availability as well, which we know is a prevalent is issue amongst endurance athletes in general. Um, so it took some time away from sport in general, basically retired from endurance athletics, and then have since come back as a professional trail and ultra runner. I currently race professionally for Adidas Terex, um, racing all over the world. I'm actually headed to a Portuguese Island at the end of April to race. Um, so pretty fun to be back, back traveling for a sport that I, a sport that I love the endurance world. Um, but over the last two years or so, I've become kind of a person in the media as well for the trail and ultra running community, um, becoming a live race commentator for 
Western States and UTMB, um, basically the two biggest races for most trail and ultra runners, um, Western States being in the U S in June and UTMB being based out of Chamonix in August. So, um, spending a lot of time in front of a camera, um, with a mic in my hand, trying to make sure that one, you know, fighting for equal representation, equal coverage of both the men's and women's races has been a huge part of what I do. Um, and sharing those stories from the women racing, but also being really cognizant of my voice in the sport and that I can kind of lead by example, as far as making sure that, you know, we're talking about athletes accomplishments, not maybe what they look like. Um, I've seen that in professional race calls from the road marathon to NCAA track and field to comments that skiers field regularly on the world cup and at home. Um, and then as well, run a podcast with two of my friends in the running community that we, in which we discuss a lot of these topics, um, regularly. So trying to make small, important changes for predominantly for women in the endurance sports space. Um, but for the trail and ultra community in general. And just uh, the Trail Society podcast for those who may not know, and uh, definitely worth. I I really enjoy that podcast, um, and yeah, de- definitely recommend to others who have not checked it out to do so. Um, Brian, and in terms of you know introducing yourself, but also I think you've been covering a variety of endurance sports for quite some time. Um, and so in addition to kind of talking through some of what you, what you've done and, and what your role has been, um, in that realm, maybe just kind of, if, if you have noticed anything in terms of, um, kind of specific changes, whether that's like in tone or in norms or, um, things that you maybe find yourself using caution around or paying closer attention to than you did at the beginning of your career. Yeah, certainly. So my name is Brian Metzler. I'm, I've been a lifelong journalist, um, always in the sporting realm. I started in newspapers and then got into, as media evolved, obviously into uh, magazines, but then also um, websites, social media, podcasts, all that. Um, I started the Trail Runner magazine. I've been involved with all the big uh, Hearst slash Runners World. Uh, I was the editor in chief of Competitor Group and I was tied to the Rock and Roll Marathon series. So I've been around uh, both uh, running and events quite a bit, um, but also I'm a uh, active skier in many realms. I've skied 100 days, 107 days last year, and I'm around events with that as well. And so I see all, it, triathlon as well too. So I see all these events and all these things. As far as my kind of um, observations, I think generally in the media, um, I think I think uh, we've seen so many changes, especially in the last 10 or 20 years, where media definitely carries biases now, which is interesting. And that's maybe not specifically relevant to some of this conversation, but we do know that there is changes as to how people speak and talk about things and write about things. Um, but I think within uh, just um, the, you know, the idea of equality and stuff, I think that certainly back in the dark ages and, and maybe at the start of my career, certainly there was um, the old school media was, was traditionally white, a lot of males um, there. It was lost in, in the dark ages and the old ways. And that doesn't make it right or wrong or anything. It, it just makes it what it was. And it's, it wasn't evolved. And so I think, Fast forward to now, I think it's I'm, I'm happy to see that there's been an evolution where how people talk about things, people understand um, kind of uh, the subject matter from what you're talking, not just kind of writing or, or, or rattling off things. If you look at like NFL coverage back in the 80s and 90s compared to now, obviously, there's much more understanding of audience, um, much more understanding of the need for uh, biased views from 
uh, both uh, men and women, but also different uh, racial backgrounds, which I think is good. So I think general sport across across the board has changed. Um, sports media has changed like that um, for the better. We have a long way to go for sure still because there's not equality in terms of how things are in, in both directions, actually. Um, I mean, it's no more right to talk about, um, you know, to, 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 you know, talk about women a certain way in sport and men certain way, but, you know, not, not follow the same, same guidelines. So I think we have a long way to go. I think certainly it's been a positive change over the last, you know, three years, especially, but I think certainly, um, you know, a further, further understanding and, and kind of uh, widespread uh, use of, of better language, maybe and understanding is, is probably important. <clears throat> and when you think back to some of your early days, is there anything that you you know, wrote that you either received criticism for or that you would kind of like go back and, and wish you had done differently in thinking about kind of this evolution of how things have have changed during your career? Yeah, I, mean, I think early on, I think I, you know, I um, when I was first in Boulder, I wrote this story about this um, this uh, girl who's a Tanzanian runner for, uh, who's living in Boulder. And, you know, I, I unfortunately made a lot of assumptions about, you know, what life was in, in Tanzania and stuff like that. And um, it was it was it lazy reporting on my part, for sure. I mean, like, um, and, you know, I, I had certainly tried to be diligent and tried to be earnest, but but um, I think that uh, it was it was easy to fall back on 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 doing things the easy way or whatever else. And that wasn't, you know, it's a lesson learned for sure. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, I would never do that that now. And, and maybe as a young journalist, I wasn't, you know, wasn't wise, wasn't privy or it was just easy to be you know, commonplace like that. So um, certainly, you know, the more I've gotten to understand, even, for example, Kenyan runners in, in the space of uh, the U.S., I mean, they've, they've been brought over here to run, and then often they're, they're foisted up on, a, on a, a press conference saying they don't really have the ability to communicate in English. And so right away you think they're um, not educated or they come from nothing or they don't understand the world and everything else. And, and it's, it's really just a matter of language, you know. And so simple things like that, um, and, and actually, I tried to help races kind of um, kind of adjust to that as opposed to putting them up in front of a bunch of what was, you know, the Chicago Marathon, for example, a bunch of uh, white old men sports writers from Chicago Tribune and Chicago Sun-Times and that really kind of figuring out a you know, good story to tell. Now there's, there's ways to, you know, engage those athletes better. Um, and I think that's an example of maybe the globalization of sport and the understanding of um, kind of a worldview of, of what we're involved in. So that's, you know, just one example. <clears throat> um, Nat, do you want to introduce yourself in a, in a non-faster skier <laughs> context in terms of, um, yeah, you know, I guess a similar question for you also in terms of what you have seen in ski coverage in now more than a decade of, um, of doing it and also just, you know, things that you have learned from your, essentially your real job um, that have impacted kind of your thoughts and just steered how you, how you think about some of this stuff um, in the ski world? Yeah, that's a good question. So yeah, I'm Matt Hurst. I am a sometimes reporter for Fast Skier, most of the time reporter in Alaska and Anchorage covering, you know, politics, government, environment, social issues in Alaska, which, you know, don't directly relate to body image, but like, uh, kind of like you were implying, Rachel, I mean, we're obviously like doing a lot of work here around like, you know, how, what kind of unconscious biases do we have as sort of like a legacy news organization and, and what do we need to do to eliminate those? Um, 
And, and so, you know, I mean, I don't know, I, I'm not, I wouldn't call myself like an avid consumer of um, sort of endurance sports media. So, uh, you know, up until this incident with Jesse Diggins during the Olympics, I wouldn't say, you know, I've gathered a lot. I would say, you know, there was, I had one experience in my career where I probably did this wrong or, or at least sort of did this in a way that was sort of misinformed and certainly like not using the right amount of care, which was, this was like my second year working at faster skier and us national championships in rumford maine uh where jesse diggins i think won every single race and there was a like the lead the opening to one of the stories that i wrote sort of i was referring to people expecting like big things from jesse diggins even though she was not an especially big person at that time and and i like have this vivid memory i can't exactly remember who it was but like I'm sitting there in the like lodge at Black Mountain which is pretty tiny like it's really busy in there and someone a woman came up to my desk and was like hey like you know you really need to like think about this and you shouldn't be referring to like Jesse's body or anyone's body like in this way and I, I think I kind of reacted a little bit defensively I'm sure I reacted defensively and probably a little bit righteously in saying like well, like, you know, this is relevant. It's my job, blah, 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 blah. And, and I, you know, I still think some of those things are true. And I think there's some room for discussion of that probably today. But I, I definitely think that like, you know, just growing a little bit and understanding the seriousness of like these issues and the way that some of the things that we can write can be really harmful um, has, has definitely sort of changed the way that I would go about, you know, covering and describing, um, any athletes. And I, you know, I think it's totally an appropriate and important topic for discussion for, for the sport and for people beyond it. So, yeah. Um, I want to get into kind of just initial responses to the New York times story in particular. Um, and, you know, to think through the quote, you know, there's, there's, the, the words massive shoulders and thighs and um, talking about how Jessie looks like a sprite in her racing suit and it's not clear how she gets her power. Um, and, you know, I think there's kind of a, a number of red flags that that raises. Um, definitely concerns about kind of the body comment in particular. Um, but also I think there's like another whole side of this where there's sort of this like lack of understanding about some of the, you know, like in a very dynamic and tactical race there's like nothing really acknowledged or accurate about like how that race unfolded. And there is sort of this like emphasis on that, you know, that's, that's such a, a quote from the article that stands out and it's very appearance focused. Um, but maybe I'm, I'm going to kick it off to Rosie since you were in that race and in that final. Um, and uh, you know, as, as one of the fellow racers, when you started hearing about this or, or read that, um, you know, you were called a surprising fourth, which I think followers of Faster Skier would not agree <laughs> with that statement. Um, you know, were there things about that? What, what were some of your initial reactions to that? Um, and just kind of in, in reading that or thinking about like that being in the New York Times during the Olympics? Yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> the difficult part for me is that um, I think Nat was actually the one that asked me about it and I had not read the article. Um, I didn't know it was out there at the time. And so, um, I guess I, I 
think my thoughts are probably skewed because, you know, I had been told that there was something basically inflammatory put in the New York Times about Jesse. So when I went to go find the article, I was looking for like, you know, something horrific. And it was, while it was maybe out of line, it wasn't quite horrific. It could have been, you know, significantly worse as well. Um, so I, I do wish, or I do wonder like, you know, what my thoughts would have been had I just come across it on my own and not like already had this idea of like something bad being put in the New York Times about a teammate. Um, so I don't know if my like initial reactions are maybe like true to what I, I like actually believe, but, you know, after reading it and like thinking about it some, um, I think maybe the part that is, that concerns me the most is just, well, for one, I mean, in general, cross-country screws are just not that big, like compared to like, maybe compared to runners we are, but like compared to every other sport out there, we're like most people would probably consider us pretty small. Um, so it's all like relative. I mean, size is always relative, but also I think like, you know, for me, one of the best parts of the sport of cross-country skiing is that it is very accepting of a lot of different body types. Uh, and, you know, I think biathlon even goes to another extreme because of the element of shooting. It takes even a little more away from like maybe narrowing body types. Um, and that's always something that I, want highlighted about cross-country skiing because I think it's a reason that everyone should love the sport and try it um, because I think it is more inclusive that way. Um, there are certainly sports that like, you know, have kind of some narrow body type selections um, for better or worse. Um, and so, yeah, I guess that was, you know, maybe, maybe my gut reaction. And then of course, like how everyone responded, you know, is that really relevant to the race itself? And I mean, probably not. I mean, being one of Jesse's teammates, I can tell you she produces a lot of power. It's incredible how much power she produces. And I don't think size necessarily correlates to power in terms of cross-country skiing. I think you can produce a lot of power and be, you know, varying sizes. So I just am not sure, like, he really had done his research in terms of, like, what the race was, what our sport is, and what's relevant to winning a race. And you know, that's maybe just bad reporting, I guess. And I definitely have some other thoughts on that aspect of it later, but, um, Corinne, I'll turn it over to you in terms of your initial thoughts and especially kind of tying in with what you were saying about your own kind of, you know, shaping of your own voice and some of what you have done as a, um, role person in the media. Yeah. So I was at a, actually I was at a training camp and I got a text. I got back into service and it was from my roommate, Olivia Amber, who was a collegiate skier at a pretty high level as a NCAA All-American. Um, and she sent me like a screenshot of the article and was like, have you seen this yet? And I was like roaming around team camp being like, okay, we're going to burn this down. Like, this is really important for us to talk about. It's something that we're talking a lot about in the running space because we get comments all the time. Although ultra akin to Nordic skiing, I think tends to be a little bit more accepting of, of multiple body types being the norm. But I mean, myself and my co-hosts of trail society have straight up been like, how are you so fast being so much bigger than someone else? And you're like, that's not a fair question. Um, nor is it relevant to my capabilities. And so I think you know, seeing that and, and reading that and just having had these really hard conversations with my co-hosts of the podcast and with people in our community about it and about how damaging reading that or seeing that, not even necessarily for Jesse or for her teammates or for 
the women she's racing against, um, both on, you know, the biathlon side or the cross country skiing side, but for young athletes reading that, like, I think Chris Hansen, Jesse's high school coach's response, um, Adam St. Pierre, who's the MSU, um, ski team coach, who's my personal running coach kind of jumped on my Twitter feed too. And, you know, was saying like his biggest concern was that, you know, if it's the other athletes, it's the younger athletes that are potentially even more vulnerable to this kind of messaging who are in a low point and they read that and they say, well, I need to be, I need to look this way. I need to, I need to do these things in order to be successful. And I think that's like, to me, that's the big concern is that messaging in the media intentional or otherwise, like, I don't think it was a malicious intentional remark. I think as Rosie mentioned, it was probably like a little bit of a lack of education of the sport, a little bit of lack of education of, of who Jesse is and her own personal history, being an advocate for disordered eating and eating disorders in sport, or, you know, again, like sharing her story more than anything. And so I think, you know, I don't think it was malicious, but I think it's the unintentional side effects of anyone who's in a vulnerable place reading that and thinking that they're not enough or thinking that they need to change how they physically look in order to find performance improvements in the sport, which just isn't, we're, we're seeing that's not true. So, um, those are like the big, you know, my mind ran with that. And we kind of, we talked about it on the podcast. we like went all over Twitter, you know, was very sad with the New York times response to comment. Um, so it was, I don't know, trying not to pull Jesse into it or anyone into it during the Olympics, but trying to like, um, make a point that it wasn't okay. And that our community didn't find it okay. Even if it seemed like a, a small side remark. And I think an interesting aspect of that too, is that, um, and this is something that I think in her interview with outside recently that, um, Jesse touched on also sort of that, like, it doesn't necessarily, um, like like you, I could see how someone could be left wondering, well, like, what should I look like, right? Like if Jesse is, you know, winning a medal and um, racing incredibly well as this sprite, but then there's all these other women who have massive shoulders and thighs, like which, which is the prefer, you know, which, which should you be? And um, how that kind of factors in also is like, it, it not only sort of brings attention to different body types and, and starts maybe raising some of these concerns with younger athletes, but there's also sort of like, well, what, what should you be, <laughs> you know? Um, and I'm curious just to kind of continue with that for a second, uh, just like differences that, um, Rosie and Corinne that you, and, and Brian for, um, I guess all of you guys have had international experience, um, in terms of this realm, but just, um, have you noticed in your time, differences between um whether it's you know international racing um versus american news coverage like are there differences in some of the styles uh, in terms of the way that you've been questioned or things that you've been questioned on in terms of how kind of like cultural norms maybe play in um in with this also and anybody can take that i'm happy to to jump in for a second but it's i think um, in talks with like, once again, with, with Hillary and Keeley, my co-hosts, um, that we find that the North American media tends to be more progressive feeling, um, than our European interviews that we get. Um, and I don't know if that's cultural norms, societal norms. I just did an interview with Japanese TV about this. And they're like, we make comments about women's bodies all the time. Like what gives? And it was like, yeah, like, I think we're just tired of it. And we're like looking to make some change. Like, yes, we do this in the U S too, but 
like I think culturally we're we're ready for change or we want change. And so I would say that the North American media seems to be more in generally like in general progressive on these topics versus the interviews that I've gotten in Europe have been kind of all over the place as far as like what comments are deemed acceptable in the moment. Rosie, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's a little hard, like, being in such a, a sport that's so small in North America versus, like, Europe, where we're racing, just because I think I get asked a lot less questions from North American media, so it's like, I don't know if I get the full scope of of what sports media in the U.S., you know, might question, um, but for the most part, I would agree with Corinne. Uh, um, I mean, the European media, like, a lot of it is actually just tabloids that we get questioned by, and so it's like, you know, oh, I saw so-and-so crash. Like, what did you do to them? Or, you know, it's like very, just like trying to get an inflammatory response from you. Um, which yeah, is its own, its own thing that you have to navigate. Um, and we don't, we obviously don't have tabloid coverage of cross country skiing in the U S. So, um, I think if we did, you know, then, then, yeah, I don't know, it would be probably more on par. Um, but for the most part, I, I find that the U S um, at least in the last few years in Olympic sports has done a lot to um, promote women in general. And I think that's somewhere that we have been a little more progressive than some of the other countries. And so I, I am very grateful for that. And I hope that trend continues because um, I think it is, it, we do set a good example for um, many other countries that we compete with. And in terms of um, maybe getting into kind of like the just body comments in endurance sports coverage in general um, and recognizing, you know, I think one of the, in some of the discussions that I've had about this since, um, since the New York times article came out, there's, I think that the kind of counterpoint of, you know, there's, there's the initial reaction um, of like, never talk about someone's body. Um, And then there's sort of all these like, counter examples of like, well, what about, you know, when, um, for swimming, for example, people love to talk about Michael Phelps and how he has like, you know, um, I think disproportionately long limbs, uh, or something like that and, and really large feet or something so that, you know, maybe he has some like mechanical advantage because of his, you know, physical size, shape, whatever, or um, conversely, like people, some of the examples that I heard really frequently were like um, Doug Flutie and some other football players who have been really successful um, in terms and like almost like being kind of a role model for other, uh, you know, aspiring football players who are smaller and maybe um, that, that they can still find success in the sport and things like that. Um, although I'm sure there are other issues in football that I'm not very informed about uh, that could be factored in there also. But um, in terms of just, you know, thinking about some of this with um, just the prevalence, like should, because there's maybe more of a prevalence of eating disorders and things like that in endurance sports, like what are, um, what are some of the, your thoughts around just how or whether that should factor in um, and what kind of maybe like training or awareness for people in the media is necessary to make sure that we're sort of, I guess, being mindful of some of these topics and, and kind of like being part of this like more progressive media solution. Um, Brian, I'm curious, you know, in, in terms of just kind of connecting back with some of what you've done and, and having worked with some pretty large media organizations, um, 
just what some of those conversations have been like uh, with some of your teams or um, just kind of the behind the scenes of, of covering some of these really large events? Yeah, I think uh, first and foremost, with uh, almost all these sports we've mentioned, especially with uh, skiing or triathlon, um, trail running for sure, um, there, there are different body types that exist. And um, I, I think that your Times comment was uninformed in particular because there's not one specific thing that us as journalists, whether even if we're covering these athletes on a regular basis, can say that contributed to their success or maybe lack of success on a given day or, or over their career, right? I mean, like Michael Phelps is, has, has, he has a long body and big feet apparently. And, um, you know, Brittany Griner is, is tall and has a big wingspan. Um, Michael Jordan could jump, all, all these things that we can see, but, but are kind of basic observations. But those aren't the only thing that has to do with uh, an athlete's success. An athlete's makeup is so multifold. I mean, it's obviously, even within the physicality of that athlete, there's, there's dozens of things, most of which we can't see. Um, obviously, there's their mental fortitude, there's their recent training, there's their recent nutrition, there's their recent rest, all these things. Um, and, and, you know, I think, I think on a positive point of view, there are, there is data to show some of that stuff and how that, that stuff might be effective. You know, someone's vertical jump, someone's power off the block, whatever. Um, so in this day and age, there, there could be more informed reporting that might lead to a physical difference that is a, a benefit or has helped that person. But I think the observations, the pure observations are kind of a weak way of, of, of doing that. And that goes for men's and women's sports. I mean, if there's a a, a smallish uh, male athlete in a certain sport, um, it, you know, you're calling that athlete, maybe he was fourth and like you're saying, oh, he's small, small. I mean, like that, that, that's kind of weak. You know, it's like, again, every athlete has, you know, we all have, there's not just more than one body type. There's an infinite amount of body types, right? And uh, that includes me and, 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 and everyone here. I mean, certainly how we perform is, is, is this is what we have this is what we are physically. This is what we do with it. This is how we train. And again, there's so many different levels of kind of input for um, for getting that that person across the finish line, right? And so I think it's a weak observation just to use a, a, what what seems to be an obvious um, and short sighted look and view of somebody, right? Um, I think I think you can learn a lot more about Jesse Diggins or any athlete by certainly understanding how they train, kind of what we you know, um, and a more informed version of kind of what makes them such a good athlete, you know. So I don't know. That's my take on that. I think especially in like say triathlon, trail running. I mean, for sure, there's many different um, body types, you can't characterize someone as being, oh, this person must be this, you know, I think maybe, maybe in the marathon, there are more uh, specifics that, that, you know, but, but again, why make a stereotype? There are plenty of runners that don't have the, the I was at the LA marathon this weekend and in the top 20, there was, um, yeah, somewhat different shapes and, and sizes of people. Okay. And that's fine. That's not what made them get across the finish line. It's again, it's, it's, it's their training. It's their intensity. It's their dedication. It's their, it's their nutrition. It's all these other things. And so I think that to give um, one kind of call out to something where you're just telling how someone looks is a pretty weak way of describing what, you know, sh short sells their entire commitment and their entire reason for, for being there and being an athlete in the first place. Can you talk a little bit too, just about um, your own, like when you are, you know, covering, you know, I think you were one of the people covering the U S Olympic trials for the marathon, um, and, you know, covering the LA marathon and things like that, when you're kind of learning about some of these athletes, like what, whether this is kind of coming from, you know, your boss or, uh, or just kind of like meetings that you've had previously to what extent, like, what does your, your preparation look like? And is there any sort of like expectation in terms of how you're getting to know some of these athletes so that you you are a more informed voice. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think the, the more preparation you can do and really understanding them is 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 very important. I mean, obviously, someone like someone like a Molly Seidel who has had um, eating disorders and challenges, um, certainly injuries, um, but 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 aside from injuries and kind of how some of those happened, um, how her, how her training was interrupted, for example, is a good example. I mean, she's obviously someone who overcame a lot of stuff and had to go a long way. Um, aside from just training, I think um, that's an important example. Um, I, I think in general, you know, backing up, I think media became started to become a little bit more informed, hopefully, I think, um, in the last 10 years. And that had to do with, you know, 15 or 20 years ago, if you looked at a cover of a magazine, you'd see a very impossibly fit um, white woman uh, um, on a cover of a magazine for, for a fitness magazine, right? And that kind of mirrored in some, some, some direction of almost most sports and fitness magazines, right? And so you've, you've seen that change, hopefully, with more people of color, um, more women um, that, that don't fit that impossible mold. Um, I think that's super important. I think um, that's, that's, that's kind of the change in the game. And also, I think telling stories of people that, that are, again, not in that same stereotype, right? And also telling the hard stories about, uh, yeah, eating disorders and also about how they've been affected by um, the challenges that, you know, for, for so long were um, not discussed or hush-hush or like, you know, just, just written over, you know? And like, um, I think that, that the impact, you know, I have, a, I have a daughter who's in college, she's a college athlete, and she was um, obviously a high school athlete too. But I mean, like knowing and, and watching firsthand about how, how their languages, how their semantics are, how they react to things, especially the social media now. And, you know, I think my challenge is maybe less with the media in some ways and more with social media, which obviously can't really be governed. But I mean, I think I see, I see so much stuff that is just so coming from a lot of pro athletes, men and women, that is, that is relatively hurtful um, for what they're displaying. Um, that has nothing to do with their athleticism as a triathlete, as a runner, as a, a swimmer or whatever else. And that's, maybe their own choice to get more clicks and, and, and sell more product, I guess. But that's, that's, I think more of the problem right now is coming from social media, but um, certainly, um, you know, I think, I think, again, as much as there has been progress, I think that um, we're, we're still in, in this, in this kind of hole in this void. Um, Rosie, do you have any thoughts on that? And in, in terms of, I, uh, you know, just thinking about endurance sports in general and, and whether there needs to be kind of some, education about either the sport that you're covering or some of the issues that might be present in that sport. Yeah, I mean, I think the story is only going to be interesting if you spend some time figuring out something about the sport and, and some of the people that are participating, because I mean, everyone can go look up the results and probably watch the event um, nowadays. That's really easy. So like, I feel like, you know, it is important to go a little bit beyond that. Um, and, you know, what's kind of interesting is like, you know, I have to imagine before visual media was as prevalent as it is today, like using physical descriptors was maybe more important in terms of like actually painting a picture of who a person was, you know, or like an, a picture of the event, the competitors in the event. Um, and I guess I understand from, from that perspective of why, you know, doing physical descriptors might be important, but um, you know, that's probably irrelevant today with the amount of, of visual media that we have now. Um, and so, you know, like Brian said, that's, it's just like not necessarily even something that contributed to someone's success or lack of success. Um, there are so many other things that are maybe more interesting and, and more relevant to um, someone's performance. Um, and so it does seem like you know, it is probably often the easy way out uh, for someone to just comment to to describe someone in that sense instead of some of their more um, unique like 
athletic characteristics or um, you know, mental character, whatever the other things um, that make a, a person good at something. Um, and, you know, I think that's, I mean, I don't know. I think it probably opens a whole nother can, can of worms, but when you start considering the visual media, um, you know, that's a whole nother thing in terms of like, even what photos are, are chosen to be produced, um, what uniforms look like, um, you know, what those companies are making athletes wear and then what athletes choose to put out there themselves. Um, you know, that's, that's a whole nother thing. And I don't know if you want to go into that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think there's, gosh, unfortunately, I think there's a lot of room to grow and particularly in the, in the visual media. Corinne, how about any thoughts to piggyback on that? I, I like the stuff about the visual media. I think that's important. We talk a lot about like, we are happy when both national governing bodies and when our individual sponsored teams do a good job providing options. Options are important for people so that you can compete and uh, show up in what you're most comfortable in. And then, yeah, there's a whole issue of what is put out there in social media in particular, um, or what images get put on the fronts of magazines. I've had a pretty hard conversation with a good friend of mine in the trail community, Amelia Boone, who was a well-known obstacle course racer, um, who's been really public about her long, long history now with disordered eating. Um, and I told her, like, I remember seeing you on the cover of outside and being like, why don't I look like that? Like, how does one look like that? And it turns out like she was starving herself. Like she was going through a really, really like terrible experience. And so I think it's like images like that, that stick in your mind though, that create this narrative that we try to try to follow. And so I think that, you know, we've got a lot of room for improvement for what that looks like. And as Brian mentioned, as, and as Rosie mentioned, like things are improving in that space, but you can't, you can't, we can't control the media. We can control what we consume. I think as individuals, like there are people that I don't follow on Instagram anymore because I don't want to see it in my feed because it didn't make me feel good about myself. And I, I get to choose that. Like that's my own self-care in a way. Um, and I think that that's an important thing to reflect on as individuals. Um, you know, you can't, you can't police what people put on social media, but you can decide if you're going to consume it or not. Um, that doesn't fix the issue of it being out there, but it does kind of limit your own personal exposure to it. So that's like what I recommend with young athletes or with our general community. When we're talking about those issues is like, you get to choose some self-care and decide what you want to show up on your Instagram feed that you're scrolling through. Um, which is not, I don't know, that's a simple fix. Maybe, um, I think that's the, the things that are kind of resonating most with me out of that. And in terms of um, kind of coming back to just the the reporting side of things, um, Nat, recently, you know, in, in your other podcast that you do for Faster Skier, um, you were talking about um, Richard Juve, right, who is a French sprinter. He won the um, World Cup Sprint Globe, first first French um French Sprint Globe, and uh, how those athletes, and you even, you, I mean, you, I, I, th- I thought it was kind of great that you kind of like, acknowledged before you even asked the question, right? You're like, I'm going to be talking about this guy's body. (laughs) Um, And that there are some kind of complex gray areas, right? Where it's like, you know, you can acknowledge, like, it seems like that team may have a different focus in their training because they are right more muscular than uh, maybe. And and it, and it turns out that that's kind of a, a different focus of that group, right? That maybe that group does focus more on, um, yeah, on kind of that more strength muscle, like building muscle mass, more powerful training versus more kind of like, 
I guess almost like a middle distance athlete training style. Um, but I'm, I'm curious, like when you kind of think about some of those, you know, in, in asking that question or in kind of thinking about this topic and some of those gray areas and kind of that balance of like, you know, to what, to what extent, like, is that an, an, an important factor of the story or something that, you know, you are noticing, like, what are some of those things that kind of go through your mind in that? Yeah. I mean, it's something I've, I've been thinking about a lot, you know, particularly since this thing with the Olympics and and with Jesse, because I mean, on the one hand, I, I really like, I'm sure that I don't appreciate it as much as I could, or probably as much as I should, but you know, I've, absolutely like come to appreciate the importance of like the power that journalists have in using words and descriptions and the way that like those can cause unintended harm if they're not if if those if that power is like not exercised carefully and I and I agree to a certain extent um with some of the things that Brian was saying about sort of these like physical attributes and like oftentimes when they're mentioned, they're not relevant. I think where I struggle and this, you know, this was sort of the New York Times's fallback was like, they were like, look, we use these kinds of descriptions when we feel that they are relevant to, to the results. And, and, you know, I mean, I, we've done this a couple of times on our podcast. I mean, you know, we talked about Richard Juve and other French sprinters who like, just you look at them and they look different. These dudes are jacked up and it's like, it's clear, you know, whether that's 50% of what's contributing to their success or 5%, like it's clearly an important element of their training. But then, you know, there were other examples during the year where like we were watching Frida Carlson ski next to Therese Johag, who like, that's not, you know, it's, it's less about sort of muscularity and more about like Frida Carlson being very tall, a lot bigger and, and Therese Johag being, you know, notably small. And, and short. And, and it's sort of like, from my perspective, I, I have a really hard time, like as kind of like a salty old school newspaper journalist with the idea that like there are areas or certain ways of describing that like should be off limits. Although I absolutely like respect like the reasons behind that. And I don't necessarily feel like that's not a legitimate argument that we should be talking about. I just, I, I get really uncomfortable with the idea that like sometimes this stuff feels pretty relevant and pretty important. And, and to go on for just like one more minute, I think the New York Times, like that incident, I, I think really raised these questions in an interesting way for me. I think one part of it that's interesting is that like Matt Futterman, who wrote that article, he had written this huge feature about Jesse Diggins really knows Nordic skiing like knows her history with eating disorders and also should know the sport well enough at this point that like, I think, and and I guess we need to be careful here, but I also just think it's really important to, to put it out there that like the description I think was factually wrong. And that's to me what the biggest issue with that story was like, he's describing Jesse as this like wispy person when like I don't think that her physique presents like notably different from anyone else in the world of cross-country skiing and I think like if it did then there's like more room for conversation there about or, or at least it becomes a more interesting conversation around like okay maybe this is a problem it's problematic to describe things in these in this way but also it feels relevant but like I think the part that was really problematic was like 
I, I think it was inaccurate just factually. And, and then the New York Times, rather than acknowledging that, just kind of doubled down. I mean, I think the at, at bottom line is like, journalists that are covering sports and that are going to get into this area, like they all should have to be trained on like eating disorders and, and their own biases and like all this stuff. And so that at least if they're not going to eschew this kind of writing and reporting entirely, at least they're aware of like the stakes and the care that they, that, that they need to use when they're doing this, because I think clearly in that case, like it can, it can and did cause harm for all the reasons that everyone just mentioned in a really articulate way. So that's kind of where I'm at on this. Yeah. yeah and I mean, I think, you know, in, in even in other races that we've covered too, like uh, in kind of how there may be times where a physical description does interact with how that person races. Um, like I, I'm thinking of, um, I think the classic race at us nationals where, um, Caitlin Patterson and Rosie Frank, or it might have been in the skate race actually, um, but it must have been because it was they were racing head to head. But Rosie Frankowski and Caitlin Patterson were skiing next to each other, and kind of similar to Frida Carlson and Therese Johag, there's a very significant height difference um, more than anything, and or, or it seems at least I, I have not actually seen either of them next to each other in person enough to make that comparison. Um, for sure. But I, I think that they are quite different in height. And um, I think, you know, you have Rosie as a really high tempo skier and um, Caitlin's tempo is a little bit different and maybe that is related to their height. Right. And so there's times where you feel like you're kind of stuck in this gray area and kind of questioning like, well, is this a relevant, you know, topic or relevant detail in this, in describing this performance, especially when you're watching these two people, you know, race 25K right next to each other um, and finish, you know, within a couple seconds of each other in kind of describing that finishing stretch. It seems relevant, you know, in those last hills and things like that. Um, but I'm kind of curious to, to, to kind of, you know, in, in kind of tying this all together with um, maybe just, you know, things that whether it's um, in sports journalism that we need to be conscious of, like, do you... Um, are there differences that you have noticed in terms of how women and men are described in your sport um, in terms of it's definitely not a, a single sex problem in terms of, you know, disordered eating and things like that. Um, and just, you know, whether there's more of an emphasis on appearance in women's sport or whether it's kind of across the board and it's something that we need to do a better job of everywhere. So maybe um, Rosie or Corinne, if you guys want to take that first and then kick it over to Brian and just more the reporting side of things. Sure. Um, I mean, I, you know, I think people probably think that this is something that they need to be more aware of on the, on the female side. And I guess I would highly disagree with that. Um, and what I think is, you know, it's not just disordered eating. I mean, you know, maybe Michael Phelps is a good example. Like he may have physical attributes that are maybe different than some of his competitors, but he also has been incredibly outspoken about mental health in general. Um, and I think anytime you're uh, pointing out something like that, it can cause harm, whether it's an eating disorder or just general mental well being. Um, and, you know, I think we all have looked in the mirror and have things that constantly bug us about ourselves. Um, and bringing attention to those, I just don't think is necessary. 
um, you know, probably 99.9% .9 of the time or something, you know, maybe there's the one instance where um, it might be, it might be important to bring up. Um, and, you know, I think like from my own experience, um, whether it's my style of skiing or my size or whatever it may be, like, you know, I often get the comment like, oh, you're such a beast. And I actually, when I was watching the NCAA feed, um, I heard that comment a million times spoken to the girls who were on the podium. And I find that very offensive. Um, and I hate when people use that kind of term to describe me. Like I would rather them say like, you know, you skied really powerfully or, um, you know, some, something that I actually did out there because like, again, that's, you know, maybe referring to my size or something. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's unappreciated. And I think, you know, it's also relating, I think it's trying to relate women to men like, oh, you know, you're, you're almost as strong as a man or something like that. Um, which I also just think is, is not important. Um, you know, the race is the race who's ever in it, male or female. Um, and the things that, you know, should probably most often be talked about is like how they executed the race, what they did that was successful. Um, you know, and like your example with, you know, the different tempos, like, why do you, like, is the height that different? It's like, is the height difference important if you're just describing like, you know, oh, Rosie relied on her tempo to keep pace where, you know, Caitlin relied on her glide to keep up, you know, like it doesn't matter really what height they were. That was just like the strategy they used and their strengths and skill sets. And um, yeah, I think that's like the same across the board, male and female. And, and I think it does go you know, beyond eating disorders and just general mental, mental well-being of athletes and just, um, you know, focusing on the things that like are trainable and are within people's control, uh, and, you know, focusing on those attributes, uh, especially when thinking about like the people that might be consuming the, this media, uh, and focusing on those things more than the things that like, you know, people literally have no control over in their lives. It's just not very productive, I think. Yeah, really good points. Um, Brian, I know that you need to take off soon, so I'm going to jump over to you next, and then I'll come back for Corinne. Yeah, I think she brought up a good point. I mean, I think like something, saying someone like was in beast mode or such a beast or an animal, I mean, that's uh, that, that could be certainly condescending or certainly derogatory if taken that way. I think that's, um, especially if, you know, she is in fact saying that, obviously, and I think some of that comes out of slang, some of that comes out of, um, you know, social media coverage or just uh, semantics that people use uh, on the pool deck or at the track. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I mean, I'm saying that, that, that it's certainly prevalent, but it's not helpful for sure. Um, especially if it's not, if it's used in, in the, the mainstream media, I think also, you know, it, it, there, there is a tough thing that, you know, um, that if, if you're thinking about how um, the average person is watching some of these events on TV, the unknowing, the unwise, the, the random fan every four years that watches these sports, these are some of their reactions, right? I'm not saying they're, they're right or wrong either. I mean, like, but 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 I do think that that the, the New York Times reaction was poor because that only um, uh, exemplified that stereotype, right? If someone if someone on TV and you and your uncle and your grandmother are watching, like, oh look at that, you know, and like the, there's a lot of weird things that come out. But the people are just reacting to the screen and see something, right? But I think for an informed journalist, for myself, for the people that are covering these sports, should be more informed and be able to to report about uh, athletes from again that multi-level makeup, you know. Um, what makes him an athlete? Again, if you had you if you had um, ten women or ten men run the hundred meters or the marathon or a, a classic ski race or a triathlon, of those top ten in a race, they'd all look somewhat different, right? And that's great because they should be because they all are different, right? And that's the whole, whole point of it. There's not one thing that makes up an athlete. Um, 
and you can't say it's their body type or you can't put a tape measure on their waist. That's, that's foolish, right? Or, or a body fat indicator. That, that's completely foolish because what they, what, what they did on that day is based on, again, all those things that got them there. And that's how they train. And like, um, could have I been 10 pounds lighter to run a faster marathon? Yeah, that's my own doing. It's my own, my, sorry, I have dogs. But certainly, certainly everyone has their own mix and, it, and it's, it's, it's not good reporting just to be able to just uh, look at something and, and say that. And on the other hand, too, if you looked at like, I understand the Amelia Boone example for sure. And, and that comes from informed understanding of who she is or who Molly Seidel was, right, with eating disorders. Um, on the converse of that, if you, if you looked at Shalane Flanagan, who was a champion runner, but also very strong, um, you know, certain people will say, oh, she's too thin. She's, you know, it, it, it's a hard thing. And like, you know, we can look at a champion athlete. And hopefully look away from the body image, though, and understand, again, why uh, that person's on that cover. I, I, I have had a long time of, of being challenged by covers. I, I don't like what we, we, you know, as a magazine industry for years portrayed. Um, I think there's a better way to do things now. But I, I, I don't know. There's, there's a fine line to a lot of this stuff. We know there's a better way. If we ask ourselves and look in the mirror, can we be better? Yes, we can be better. And I think these are all relevant conversations for all that. Karen, um, I'll turn it over to you in terms of, yeah, just thoughts on thoughts on those points. Yeah, and I, I agree. I think, I mean, I think we're all kind of in agreement. We all have things that we feel challenged by. And I think um, to a point made earlier, like, I think if you, if you feel uncomfortable about if, should I say this, or if you're, if you feel torn about like, should this descriptor go in there, then that's a good place to be. Cause I think that means you're thinking about it and you're cognizant that it's an issue and you want to make sure that you don't, you're not on the wrong side of that, that you, that you do justice to that athlete. And I think in the trail and ultra community, we've had a lot of conversations where we think our male teammates, our male counterparts that are, that have professional contracts, it's like, oh, well, they're talented. And it feels like there's this pressure on the women's side to be talented and look a certain way. Maybe talent. Oh, she's talented and pretty. And it's like, okay, like I'd like to be, you know, hope that my, like my accomplishments can speak for themselves. And I think that kind of bleeds into how the media can and should talk about athletes. I think to Rosie's points about, you know, those descriptors of being told that you're a beast, like, okay, maybe you can like lean into that, but at the same time, like it might not be what you want to hear every day. And maybe that's more of a compliment to a male athlete than a female athlete. I think obviously I've been, I've done this. I've got a teammate on the Adidas team named um, Dimitri, and he's known for his quads. He has track cyclist-esque quads. And I've definitely made comments about his quads before that might not have been the right thing for me to do. Just because he's a male athlete doesn't mean that he's going to take that comp that as a compliment. Um, and I think it's important to evaluate those things that it's not just about, it's definitely, I think, maybe more prevalent in the media when it comes to female athletes using descriptors. I went through and read a lot of New York Times coverage during the Olympics to see how do they talk about, you know, the, the male figure skaters, how do they talk about the male Alpine skiers and, and big mountain or like freestyle style skiers? Like, what did that look like? Um, sorry, a phone call is trying to come through. I'm going to decline that. Okay. Um, and then what I've got, I wrote notes during that was, um, I think about coaching young athletes or, or working with young athletes. And there's a big difference between saying, wow, you ran really fast or versus you look fast you look strong. It's like, that's a big difference in how that's absorbed. And it's like, talk about the accomplishments, not how someone looks because you don't know looks don't mean don't prescribe talent. They don't pre prescribe potential. It's that difference. Like 
you, you are fast, you are strong, you ran that really well versus you look a certain way. I perceive this thing about you. And so I think that's kind of what I'm, I try to do in my coaching, in my talking about races, talking about athletes in races is to talk about what their accomplishment, what they're accomplishing in that moment versus what they look like is kind of, I think the big, the big thing there. Um, last kind of aspect of this that I wanted to get into is just, I, you know, in thinking about kind of like, I think everybody's touched on this a little bit and, um, Rosie, you're just mentioning kind of that like mental health component of it, right. Whether it, whether it has to do with disordered eating, you know, that's obviously been a focus partly because it was a body comment, partly because it was Jesse Diggins, who's an advocate in the space. Um, but in terms of just like awareness of athlete mental health and covering some of these sports. Um, I, I've been thinking about kind of just the, the power that the media has um, in both directions in terms of, you know, I have a ton of respect for the New York Times and what they've done in, you know, Dream Maternity and, and Mary Kane and some of these other really important stories that, um, you know, the New York Times specifically has helped launch. Um, and I think about, yeah, just, uh, you know, with kind of the, I, I was listening to um, a podcast earlier today that's, um, I definitely recommend also, which is, it's, I think it's called American Prodigies. Um, and it's about uh, the the episodes that I was listening to or this season is about um, just uh, gymnasts and in particular gymnasts of color. And so getting into stories of um, Simone Biles and, and Gabby Douglas and some of these other really important, um, women. And, uh, just thinking about kind of the, in one of the episodes that I was listening to today, it was talking about kind of, um, just the scale of the Olympics and how the media in those moments, particularly for some of these Olympic sports that aren't seeing necessarily like, you know, they're, they're not seeing, the New York Times is not covering like a weekend World Cup. Um, they're covering just these, you know, these key Olympic events. And so thinking about kind of the, the power that the media has and the scale of the Olympics, and then also just, you know, some of what we're seeing in terms of um, athletes speaking out about mental health surrounding the Olympics, like, you know, like Simone Biles, like Michaela Schifrin, um, lesser known athletes like Haley Swerble and Caitlin Patterson and, you know, and kind of discussing, you know, just the, the myriad of, um, mental health challenges that athletes might face and thinking about that in, in the context of kind of the power of the media and the scope and scale of the Olympics. Like, what are some of your thoughts around just the importance of maybe awareness of some of those things or, um, just whether or not the media, like, like when you're thinking about how you would want to be covered and how you would want to cover someone, um, just kind of the, the responsibility maybe that the media has in, you know, thinking of athletes as people and focusing on what they're able to do and their performances in that kind of big scheme of things. I guess that's kind of a big question, but, um, yeah, I'm going to, Rosie, I'll put you on the spot first if you're willing. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know. It, yeah. It's kind of a big and complicated topic, but I think you, you kind of hit the nail on the head when you said like, you know, these things only cover the Olympics. I mean, I think that's ultimately what brings that, uh, pressure about for a lot of these athletes, particularly like if you look at Michaela or Simone, like, you know, the, 
the amount of coverage they get in like, you know, probably six months or so leading up to the games is, is insane. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot of pressure to do it all because, um, you know, promote your sport. It's, you have to make money. Like, you know, there's all these multifold reasons about why you might, um, participate in all this media, but it's, it's a lot. Um, and I guess I question whether we need all of it. Um, or if, you know, some of these resources should be going to covering, um, more than just the Olympics and covering world championships and world cups, or, um, I don't know what the gymnastic circuits called even, <laughs> I mean, that goes to show you how little coverage it gets, um, you know, but like some of the other events. And so, you know, you kind of are developing the story of these athletes over time, instead of putting all of this pressure on like one single event, um, and trying to tell an athlete's life story, you know, over the course of like three weeks of the games or whatever it is. Um, during that time period. And, you know, I mean, maybe that would help diffuse some of that pressure, but I think, I don't, I mean, you would have to ask those athletes, you know, what particularly it is about, you know, what types of things the media is asking them or doing that is, that seems to be causing more harm than, than good. Um, you know, I'm not really sure. I think that's probably different for every person and, you know, everyone has their own battles. Um, and I think it's, you know, the other side of it is like, I think every athlete does have a story. And I think, you know, most of us want to share that because part of the reason we do this is to hopefully inspire somebody to like reach beyond what they think is possible or, you know, test themselves or, you know, whatever. Um, and so like, we do want to share our stories. And so like finding the most productive way to do that, um, I think is challenging. And, um, you know, I do think it would help to kind of do it over the process of four years, you know, the whole quad, um, culminating in the Olympics rather than throwing it all into like three weeks of, of the games, um, and putting all that on the pressure on like one single event. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, for, I have not been in that position, so, it, you know, it would be interesting to talk to some of the people that have really struggled with that, um, and what certain things have, have caused the most harm for them. Have you noticed a difference or, or did you notice any differences in terms of um, just your own mindset about whether it's, you know, with media requests or things like that heading into this, um, this Olympics versus 2018? Yeah, I mean, I felt like this Olympics was like really easy in terms of media just because there was, I mean, everything was blacked out. Like, I mean, we weren't allowed to do the only place we could like be freely asked questions was the mix zone after the race, which is something we're pretty accustomed to. Cause we do that after every race, but like any sort of interview request or anything had to go through our press officers. Um, I think they were declining most of them on our behalfs um, without even asking us. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, it was for me, I felt like it was actually pretty easy to manage because it was, um, so blocked and like, I didn't have access to my phone or computer. So like, I mean, I, I had like a temporary email, so I wasn't even getting, you know, normal emails. I wasn't on Instagram or Facebook or any of these other things. So many things were blocked. And so, yeah, I mean, in that, I think that was maybe a silver lining, I guess, of, of the technology challenges and the COVID challenges that were brought in these Olympics. But, um, you know, that obviously wasn't the case for, for all athletes. And, you know, it, it is more than just like, the three weeks of the games, it's, it's the whole lead up into it. Um, and you know, I think, I don't know, I went to LA in September. And so I guess that's maybe like kind of when it starts is when NBC does those 
like pre photo shoots and stuff. And, and I can only imagine, um, for big name athletes, like how much more that entailed, um, than for myself. So I think the damage was probably already done before the games had started in a lot of these cases. Colonel, I'll kick it over to you next. Yeah. I'm sitting here kind of nodding along thinking about, um, the, the difference between being in the games versus like what people see or expect from the outside. And just like, there's a total mismatch there of what that experience is like. And so it's been really, I think it's great for, you know, we've talked about Michael Phelps briefly here and there, but like sharing about, you know, the, the come down after, after Olympics, sharing about how hard that is, you know, like there is really a post, I think a lot of us feel it after a post big race or post, you know, season, season ending race, like you get that post post race blues. And that is like exponential when it comes to either big expeditions or something like the Olympics. And then talking about the experience at the games in general. And I think Haley maybe shared a really great, um, write up about that. Just like giving a really honest perspective of what it's like, you know, being, being there, being in that position. I know athletes on the biathlon side who have gone as, as alternates or they've gone, but because of allocations for start spots and maybe they don't race and like grappling with this, like, am I an Olympian? Do I call myself an Olympian type of sensation? So I think that, you know, the, maybe it was, I think the silver lining of the Olympics, right. For those athletes is, is, was being able to shut things down a little bit. You know, we see that with collegiate sports, um, football teams will, you know, basically be like, you're not allowed to be on Twitter for the football season or whatever it might be to, to not let that, whatever it is, the, the critiques, the negative comments, the positive comments, the, uh, speculation about you, um, play into your mindset. Um, and kind of back to earlier was, you know, the idea of like, you, you get to choose technically oftentimes what you consume, but not all the times when it comes to Olympic level athletes, you don't always get to choose what you're consuming because the media sometimes just is coming to you as opposed to you going to it or you looking for it. Um, and I think that's gotta be, I know it's challenging in the trail and ultra space leading into big races, that the media commitments can be really hard or just like hearing what people that hearing other people's expectations of what you should or shouldn't be doing or how you should or shouldn't be performing, um, is really difficult, but I think that that's obviously heightened when it comes to a world championship or Olympic level culminating event. Um, so I'm more than anything, just like kind of feel for all the athletes, both from the media side, kind of having some, I think it's important to have that understanding, but also from the athlete side of, of knowing that it's really, it's a really tenuous balancing act and it's every athlete's going to cope with that differently. Um, and I think some athletes are more quote unquote resilient to that. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't get to them, but I think that it's got to be really hard to not let it get to you on for, for most, for most people. Cause we're all humans. turns out we're all Ryan, emotional I'll beings over you next in terms of, yeah, I think. Oh, so maybe, maybe thing I'd add to that. I think it seems like there's more, um, for someone who, you know, I was a college athlete back before all this and well before social media. And so there's more pressure, there's more exposure, there's more commitments, there's more asks from every athlete at every level, high school included than ever before. So you know, I think that, um, you know, high school athletes went through this phase in the last 20 years with the internet change and influence in a positive way to some extent, how they performed because they were inspired by other people posting marks across the country. But, um, and that's obviously college and pro, especially where the pros have um, obligations for sponsors almost on a daily basis. If you watch what they're posting on their Instagram, for example, to me, that's almost like crazy. How do you possibly manage that? Right. And I think that with the increased um, intensity of the media coverage every four years, for sure. And it's unfortunate there isn't more even coverage throughout the, the four years for a lot of these sports that we love that are not in the, in the mainstream. But 
I think that uh, there's more intensity, focus, kind of exposure, all this stuff on athletes than ever before. And so certainly when someone like Simone Biles, um, you know, has, has a challenge and is open and honest about it, admits it. I mean, the, the trouble is it gets even more exposed because then it's like a, a feeding frenzy for the media to give their own take on it or to make that the top story. And um, same with Michaela. I mean, Michaela, I felt bad for. I've seen her race many times and to a championship level. And, you know, then she barely makes a story, but then, then in her failure, she made more of a story, unfortunately, and, you know, she owned it and she, you know, she was able to, you know, be earnest and strong and true about it. And that's, that takes a lot of courage. I think, I think the one thing that to consider is that like in the TV age, probably whenever that happens, in the Olympics, there's been increasing pressure ever since on athletes. And, you know, probably in the seventies and eighties, there were athletes that didn't perform well because of that pressure um you know that that never made a story or never became a mental health issue and that's maybe unfortunate for some of those athletes maybe who are still grappling with that maybe somebody who who missed the final or finished dead last in the final on tv in 1988 you know that that's you know but fortunately now i guess there's there's the focus of of hopefully better and proper attention to that um again you know you'll you can say like oh the strong always rises to the top maybe maybe not i think that you can look at any sport and, and you can say what, when the pressure's on the line, it, it makes everything harder. And by pressure, I mean, again, all these things, intensity, focus, and you've got your own, as an athlete, a lot of these people have their own social media manager and, and you're always talking into a phone to somebody giving a, a you know, so it, it, to me, that's, an, that's crazy. And it takes away probably from the ability to focus on training, on sport, on competition. And so, you know, I certainly feel for these athletes who are trying to do this thing they've trained forever to do. And then every four years, especially this year, um, there's this huge, huge spike in like, how do you possibly sleep at night? And like, I mean, I don't know, it blows me away. And so I, I certainly am sympathetic to some of the athletes who've gone through this, especially in a public forum like this. Um, but hopefully there is, you know, again, more awareness and more discussion of the mental health aspect. Um, and hopefully from the team point of view, the athlete point of view, more training for that. Uh, certainly from a, from a journalist point of view, yeah, there should be more awareness, more, more um, hopefully proper talk about that as well. But it, it, to me, it's like, it's only increased even in the last eight years as social media has become such an explosive thing. Cause it's not just the media. It's like everybody's sharing and reporting on, on any given, you know, success or failure. Awesome. Well, I want to, um, wrap this up to respect to you guys time here. Um, really appreciate the time that you have given and all of your perspectives. Uh, before we end, is there anything, you know, that's kind of standing out in your mind on these topics that, that you want to conclude with or that we didn't get to that you just want to make sure that we discuss before we wrap up. Well, I'll let Rosie and Corrine conclude. I'll just say something real quick. I'm, I'm really appreciative of hearing the talk and certainly again, my influence has certainly been by the greater media world, but it's, it's great to hear always from athletes about these specific topics. Uh, again, one of my biggest influences is watching my daughter and understanding that from from a girls and women's sports point of view. And I think that this kind of discussion is certainly very, very helpful. And I, and honestly, as a former college track athlete, knowing where some of the observations of, oh, you're, you're too heavy to run, you're not thin enough to run fast on the women's team only. I wish some of this discussion was happening, you know, back when I was in college, I was never asked how much I weighed. I was never asked on what I was eating. I just ran and whether I ran good or bad, no one ever asked me that. But so I wish this discussion had happened a long time ago, but to that point, I'm glad it's happening now. Corinne, you look like you have something. Yeah, I'll go. I'll do it. Um, I think the biggest thing to remember here, both as an athlete, as a parent, as a coach, as the media is, um, although I'm not all those things, but maybe someday, but, um, the thing is you're going to make mistakes and that's okay. Like we're all constantly learning. I think that's the biggest thing. Having, having 
taken some of this on from the media side of things, you're going to make mistakes and people are going to, people are going to be kind mostly and correct you. And I think it's important to listen to that and take that in and, and let it shape your perspective a little bit because, you know, you might, yeah, I think it's easy to, you only have your own personal life experience to go off of and what you can glean from others. And I think being able to be open to those conversations, if they're uncomfortable or otherwise is really, really important. And I think that's how we make this better for athletes and for young athletes in particular, and for women in sport and for the media moving forward is just to continue to be open to those dialogues, um, and be willing to kind of, you know, make corrections as, as we fumble along a little bit. Rosie, any last thoughts? Sure. Um, yeah, I guess I, you know, I would also say, um, with, you know, today's media and like social media, um, in a lot of ways, like athletes are journalists too. Um, and we are writing our, our own stories. And so, um, you know, we've been kind of critical of journalists, but I think it goes both ways, um, as well. And like, you know, that's something that I, uh, try to talk to like high schoolers in particular about a lot is like making sure that what you're putting on your social media is how you would want others to like, you know, act towards you, like the words you're using, the pictures, the images you're choosing, um, and those kinds of things as well. And I think that's, you know, an important way that the athletes can have a positive impact on, on this messaging and, and provide an example of how we want to be talked about and the things we want to focus on, um, and the things that we want journalists to, to ask us about and to, to focus on as well. And so, um, it can become tricky because I think we all know what sells and it's not always, you know, what, what should be selling. Um, and so, yeah, I think sometimes athletes get caught on their, on the wrong side of that. So that's something I always like to think about and impress upon, uh, younger athletes as well. Great. Well, uh, yeah, thanks again for doing this. This is awesome. Um, and yeah, I, I really appreciate your time. And I think there are some really, really exciting perspectives shared here. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy the content you consume on Faster's Gear, we encourage you to consider supporting us with a voluntary subscription with price set at your own discretion. Learn more at fasterskier.com support. You can also rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast or share it with a friend or ski buddy who might also enjoy it.